Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Donkeys, cloaks, branches, and cities. And I want us to read from Matthew's gospel this morning. It's an Easter passage. It's a a little bit different, but I think it's going to help us as we look at five things around kingdom generosity. Matthew 21, reading from verse 1, and the heading of this passage in the NIV is Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king, but I want us to read it like this this morning. Jesus comes to Santon as king. Jesus comes to Johannesburg as king. Jesus comes into our city as king. Verse 1 says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them Right away. In other words, tell them, you know, the Lord needs them, but He's not just going to leave you high and dry and, and stranded. No, He's going to use what, what, what you're willing to give, and then He's going to send it back. Another translation says, if anyone asks you, what are you doing? And I found that there will always be people in your life, friends, colleagues, uh, onlookers, non-givers, even family members that will say to you, what are you doing when you want to advance the kingdom of God, when you hear God calling you to bring something for the mission at hand? Jesus was on a mission, and he needed someone to bring something. Verse 6 says, the disciples went and, and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. The first point I want to make this morning is that God uses what we allow Him to use. God can't use what you and I withhold, only what we freely give. And all four Gospels record this story, but in Mark's Gospel, he records that someone actually did come along and say, what are you doing? Mark 11 and verse 5, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So they came and said, hey, what are you doing? And they said, hey, the Lord needs this. And they said, oh, okay, fine, go for it. But isn't it crazy to think that God who can do anything and who created everything, who could manifest a donkey if he wanted to, or a, a, a white horse or a chariot, that that God would ask you and I to provide something for him to work with, that he would ask us to bring something for him to sit on. But that's what he does. He creates opportunity for you and I to partner with him. In Luke 5, we see this happen with Peter. Jesus asks Peter to partner with him in order to meet a need. Luke 5 and verse 1 says, Once when he, that's Jesus, was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. I love this because it's such a great picture of a healthy, hungry church. Often we, we, we say this at church, will you lean in this morning? And you might think, that sounds like Christianese. What, what does that mean? If you're new to church, you think, you're looking at the people down your row, are they 
Are they all leaning? Are we supposed to lean forward? What are we supposed to do? But here it is, right in Luke's gospel, that people are pressing in to hear from Jesus. They're saying, hey, don't distract me. Turn your phone off. Put it on silent. Deal with your niggly children because I'm trying to hear from Jesus. This is vitally important, and I don't want to miss a thing. It says that he noticed, because Jesus always notices. He notices need, but listen, he knows how, how to deal with that. He always knows the solution to the need. And if you're here this morning and you've got a need, I want to encourage you, Jesus sees it. He knows how to fix it. He knows what the future looks like. So don't for a minute think that you're in your situation on your own. Jesus noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them, and they were out scrubbing their nets. He climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put it out a little from the shore. Another translation says that he got into the boat, and he said to Peter, let me use your boat. You know, some people don't want to be used. They'll say, the church is just using me. Yes, Let me put it to you like this. If someone bad uses you, how many of you know it's a bad thing? But when someone good uses you, it's a good thing. And Jesus is saying, Peter, I want to use your boat. I want to use your livelihood. I want to use your life as a platform. Why? Not just because I want to meet needs. Goes on to say, sitting there using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. And this was so that Jesus could better engage with the people, so that he could see them and, and they could see him. And, and, and Jesus is very practical. As he spoke, his voice would have carried along the water and everyone would have heard him with clarity. I reckon if Jesus had just walked out on the water to speak to the people, they would have been freaked out. He would have lost them and they wouldn't, wouldn't have heard what he had to say. They would have just been awe of this, in awe of this miracle. So Jesus sees the need, and he creates an opportunity for Peter to partner with him, for Peter to get involved. And when he does, not only are the people helped, but later on in verse 4, Jesus says, hey, Pete, let's go fishing. Well, Peter says, you know, Jesus, you're the preacher guy. That's kind of your thing. I'm a professional fisherman, and I, I kind of know what I'm doing. And we've been out all night, and we're yet to see a breakthrough. But then he says, you know what, because you say so, because you're the one who sees need and, and knows how to meet need, I'll take you at your word. Well, they go out into the deep waters, and as a result, they haul in this incredible catch. It's a, it's a miracle. It's a, it's a breakthrough. A catch of fish so large that the nets are straining past capacity, and a second boat has to come and help them to haul it in. And you know what Peter says to Jesus? Get away from me, for I'm a sinner. Peter thinks that the reason why Jesus is blessing him is because of his righteousness. And often you and I can think that. If I'm just a better person, if I just stop swearing, and if I just stop watching that thing on Netflix, and if I just stop that habit, and you know, stopping all those things are good. But we think that we can earn. But no, that's not what happened here. Just prior to this, Peter hadn't caught anything. He was in need, but when he gave to meet a need, God met his needs. Why? Because God uses what we allow him to use. So back to Matthew 21. These donkeys that Jesus asked for were tied up. They existed. They, they were there, but they were in waiting 
They were not currently being used. And Jesus said, untie them and bring them. You know, I think often that's what it's like with what you and I have in our hand. We've got it. It exists, but it's tied up. Perhaps it's tied up in stocks or it's tied up in assets or it's tied up in future plans. And I'm not just talking about finances this morning. Sometimes it's our energy that's tied up. Oh, I don't want to go to church this morning because, you know, I want to play paddle this afternoon and I, I don't want to be tired. Oh, you know, I would come and, and serve in the worship team or the production team, but, you know, I, I like to go to the gym on a Wednesday night, so I don't think I can come to rehearsal. We've got something, but it's tied up. It's in use. But if you and I are willing to untie some of what we have and bring it to Jesus, He will use it for His glory and for the benefit of others including ours, amen? And you might be here this morning and you're thinking, well, I don't know if I've got that much tied up. I mean, you know, I'm not one of those people. I see people on the platform and I see people around church and they're very spiritual and they're so mature and they, you know, they always know what to say and they always know what to do. And, you know, I'm not sure. I'm just like kind of ordinary. And, And when I look at myself, I think, how can God use this? Because when I see myself, I just see me. Well, I want to encourage you this morning, point number two, God uses donkeys. Listen, the king of kings doesn't ride into Jerusalem on a high horse. He doesn't come in a a fancy chariot. He comes humbly on donkeys. And here's the thing, when Jesus rides into a community, when he rides into a situation, when he rides into Santon, he chooses to do it on donkeys. Tell the person next to you this morning he's talking about you. (laughs) <laughs> now, I'm not saying that, that God doesn't use stallions, because you might be here and say, listen, I'm, <laughs> that's awesome, but I'm not a donkey. Have you seen me at the gym? Have you seen what I can lift? Have you seen me in the boardroom? When I, when I come in and I give a presentation, everyone hangs on my every word. That's awesome. I'm not saying that God doesn't use those amazing, gifted, talented people, I'm saying that he definitely uses donkeys. And how do, how do you know, Pastor Eddie? Because he's using me. Donkeys are ordinary people who are willing to offer up who they are and what they have so that Jesus can ride in and change an entire city. Notice that it was two donkeys, a big one and a small one, an adult and a colt. And And I think that tells us a few things. Firstly, it tells us that it's not just up to the older, more established people to carry the load and play a part. You know, sometimes we can think, oh, you know, they're those people at Rivers Church. They've been there since the little building, and then, you know, then they went across to Middle Earth, and now they're in the, you know, those guys are really into it. They're the ones that should do it. No, it's, it's not just up to the older people. It's also not just up to the younger people who've got less responsibility and more expendable income. Oh, yeah, you know, they should do it because, you know, we've done our time. No, it's up to all the donkeys to carry what God's calling us to carry. Two donkeys also tells us in the context of our giving, whether that's our time, talent, or treasure, that it's not just the big gifts that make a difference. You know, one person can come on the weekend and serve one service and, and, and that's all they can do. And that's a massive sacrifice for them because they're very busy. They've got a very busy schedule. They've got a lot on the go. Other people can come and they can serve three weeks in a row, all services. Why? Because they don't have that much going. How many of you know, it, it seems like the one's doing more than the other, but it's not about the size of the gift. It's about the level of sacrifice. 
And regardless of your background, your financial status, your education, your, your level of gifting, God wants to ride into a city on your back. Listen, he can ride into a family situation on your back. He can ride into a company or a school or a varsity or a community or a, a world without hope on your back. So don't write yourself off this morning. Don't just look at yourself and say, well, what can I do? If God can use a donkey, he can use you. Verse 8 says, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Can you see that? Everyone brought something. Some people had cloaks to give. And you know, I think often when we read the story, we can read it like a fairy tale or a, or a, a Sunday school thing where we kind of think that Jesus got on the donkey and, and kind of just glided into the city. But think about it. As these people began to lay down their garments, and just think about what you're wearing today. Maybe you've got a nice new jacket on and, and, and think if someone came and said, hey, will you just put that out here in the car park so that you know, some people can walk over it? You'd be like, can someone else do it? Can you get me a love to serve t-shirt or something? But think about it, as, as, as the disciples walked past and as the donkeys came and they trampled these garments, they would have urinated and pooped and done their thing. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Those garments would have gotten soiled, they would have gotten damaged, they would have gotten, you know, cut up. And, and so it was a massive sacrifice to lay down your garment in the dirt. Why? To honor the king. And so some people... They had cloaks to bring. Maybe they were at a certain financial level and they, they brought their garments. Other people, they didn't have that, but when they caught a glimpse of Jesus, they weren't prepared to just stand there and do nothing. They went and found trees and they cut down branches. And everybody brought something so that the king could be honored. Here they come. But what's often lost in the English translation is that when, when the, the word talks about them spreading garments and, and, and laying down branches, it's a prolongation, meaning that it wasn't a one-time thing. It means that they continued as Jesus advanced into the city and they laid down their garments. They continued to pick them up and put them down again and, and, and so that Jesus could continue to advance. So they laid them down and they laid them down and they, they laid them down and they laid them down and they laid them down and they continued to lay them down in Jesus' name. Fantastic. Thank you, team. Weren't they great? <laughs> and when those branches were picked up, they would have been ruined. And when those garments were picked up, they would have been soiled and in disrepair. But that was the level of sacrifice people were willing to make when they saw Jesus. Number three this morning, I hope you're being helped. God's kingdom advances through our continued generosity. He'll use what we allow him to use. He'll even use a donkey to change the world. But his kingdom advances as you and I continue to lay down our garments and, and cut down branches. But hang on, didn't we take up an offering last week? Hang on, didn't we do breakthrough offering last year? Yes, because the kingdom advances and expands when you and I continue to sacrificially give of our time talent, and treasure. You know, back in 2016, not long after we finished this building and we, and we opened it, and it was at a cost of around 200 million rand. How many of you know that's a lot of garments and a lot of branches? 
we started talking about planting another campus down at the coast. And we said, church, you know, God has laid Belito on our hearts, and we believe that we can go there and make a real difference. And, and we got a couple of donkeys lined up called Aidy and Claire, and they're just ready to go. And, and you know what? Instead of saying, are you mad? We just built this building. I mean, gosh, could we have a break? Well, what happened? No, we just continued to lay down garments and cut branches to see it happen. And what a difference we've made down there. The North Coast will never be the same because we decided that we were not just going to do something once, we were going to continue. In 2019, when the theater on the track became available, once again, we appealed to the church and said, you know, we feel like God is calling us to reach the surrounding communities and, and to go into Kyle Army and reach that area. And, and so we just kept laying down our garments and we just kept cutting down branches. And little did any of us know that God was already lining up those donkeys down there in Belito to bring them back and run Kyle Army. And now here we are across five locations. Lives are being changed and, and, and people's eternal destiny is being changed forever. Why? Because we didn't just do that thing once. We didn't just build that one building and say, oh, this is good enough. No, month after month, week after week, year after year, we kept giving sacrificially, giving of our time, giving of our talent and of our treasure. Verse 9 says, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, Mark's gospel says, Jesus was in the center of the procession. There were those ahead and those behind. And how many of you know all our efforts here at church are meaningless unless Jesus is at the center? We can do all sorts of things. But if Jesus isn't at the center, then we're just playing games. It says, with the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, shouted, Hosanna. That means, save us to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Notice that they didn't whisper. They didn't praise him in their hearts. They didn't stand there, you know, my lips are sealed and my arms are crossed and I, I look like I'd rather be at home watching Netflix. But, you know, in my heart, I'm like, yes, Lord. No, they shouted. And as followers of Jesus, we're not meant to be quiet. We're not meant to be quiet during worship. We're not meant to be quiet in response to the word. We're not meant to be quiet when it comes to pointing people to Jesus. Notice that most of our locations are visible. They're on a main road somewhere. Why? We're not going to be tucked away in an office park with trees blocking us where, you know, us four and no more. And can you send me an access code to get in? Oh, I'm not sure if I want to. No, no, no. We want to be seen and heard. For the glory of God and for the benefit of others. They shouted. Verse 10 says, when Jesus entered, the whole city was stirred. And they asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You know, church, this is why we're here. We're not just here to get our needs met. We're here to meet the spiritual needs of others. We're here so that the whole city will be stirred. I know that's not very popular because often we come to church and we just tell me that I'm loved and, and, and tell me that God's on my side and tell me that, he, that He's fighting for me and He is and you are seen and you are loved. But God's got more than that for us. He wants us to shake up a whole city. You know, the word stirred there is the Greek word sio, which means shaken like an earthquake. That's not just a little rumble. Oh, what's happening there on South Road? I saw some cars. You know, in June of this year, Joburg experienced its strongest earthquake in six years, if you can call it that. 
measuring a magnitude of 5.0. And although the epicenter was uh, somewhere near Boxburg, about 45 kilometers away, about 50 kilometers from where I live, I woke up in the middle of the night. It was like 2 a.m. or something. The, my windows were vibrating. My dog was going mental. The kids came, came running in, and they said, what's going on? They said that the tremors were even felt in Botswana, 500 kilometers away. Now, imagine what happens when a community is stirred and shaken up like an earthquake because of what God is doing in the people there. Imagine what happens in that community, in that city, in that nation as the tremors are felt miles away. That's why we're here, to shake up a community and stir up a city so that people come and they say, who is this? What's going on here? And we get to say, this is Jesus, the only hope for humanity. You know, through generosity, you and I get to play a part in what God is doing on the earth. And you know, when I say generosity, I'm not just talking about buying someone a coffee or seeing someone at a restaurant and picking up the tab. I'm talking about what we are willing to sacrifice and sow into God's kingdom. That we get to partner with God. It's a partnership, but it's also an incredible privilege. Not because we're gifted or because we're, we're more intelligent or we're awesome. God looked at us and said, wow, you woke up like that. Come, I'll use you. No, it's because we, we get to play a part because we have a willing, sacrificial spirit. Peter wasn't blessed because he was awesome. It was because he was willing to allow Jesus to use his livelihood. And there are many people mentioned in the Bible because of one thing, kingdom generosity. You see, number four this morning is that God sees and honors generosity. In Mark 12, while people are bringing their offerings into the temple, a widow comes in with two coins. The word says that they amount to a fraction of a penny, but it gets Jesus' attention, and he calls his boys over, and he says, hey, you see this woman here? She gave more than, than anybody else because she gave sacrificially. She gave everything that she had. Why do we know about her? Because of her sacrificial giving. In 1 Samuel 17, we read about another widow who had very little, and she had a, a bit of a a bit of flour and a, and a drop of oil, and, and, and Elijah, the man of God, comes and says, hey, uh, make me some bread. She says, look, I've got a little bit, and I'm going home to make this meal. I mean, you can't even call it a meal. It's hardly a snack. She says, I'm going to make this for, for myself and my son, and we're going to eat it and die. He says, oh, okay, cool. Like, that's fine, but first, make something for me. Imagine a pastor telling you that. You'd be like, sorry, did you just hear what I said? I just told you we are going to die. Yeah, yeah, I get that, but make me something to eat. How unpastoral, how uncaring, how ungracious. But you know what she does? She, in, in obedience to this God that she doesn't even know, she submits and she listens and she makes Elijah the bread. And as a result, the flour and the oil end up lasting three years and her and her family are sustained. Again, why do we know about her? Because of her sacrificial giving. In Matthew 14, we hear about a multitude of people being fed, 15,000 people. That's a lot. And a young boy comes forward with his packed lunch, and, and he allows God to use it. Why? Because God can only use what we allow him to use. And as a result, this boy becomes part of the story. In fact, he becomes part of history. And we don't know his name. We don't know what he was wearing. We don't know if he was cool or uncool or anything about him. But we know that, that he came forward with a willingness and a generous spirit when nobody else stepped up. 
You don't hear about the disciples looking at what everybody brought and went, mm, not that, uh, no, I don't like Marmite, okay, what about this? No, only one boy stepped forward with a willing, generous spirit, and we know about him today. And then in Matthew 26, a woman is acknowledged and honored by Jesus. She comes into a home where a dinner is being held in Jesus' honor, and it's really a picture of the church because every service that we hold here at church is a supper or a dinner in Jesus' honor. That's why we shouldn't come late and we shouldn't come empty-handed. And it's first and foremost about Him, and then it's about getting our needs met. Sometimes we're like, I, I need you to meet my needs. No, 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 put Him in His rightful place, and everything else in your life will find its proper place. Amen? But a woman comes in and she pours an expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, and the disciples say, what a waste. Isn't that like a popular opinion? When we built this facility, people said, oh, it looks like a shopping mall. kind of does, but that's, I think it's awesome. Because we're not going to be hidden away behind trees, amen? But people say, what a waste. Someone said online, uh, you could, think about all the, the poor people you could have fed. You should sell that building and give the money to the poor. Sounds very spiritual, but let me tell you who the first person in human history was to say that. It was Judas. And the word says, not because he had a heart for the poor, but because he used to dip his hand into the treasury and take for himself. So popular opinion sees you and I giving sacrificially and says, what a waste. You could have done other things, but that's not important. What does Jesus say about it? Matthew 26 and verse 10, it says, aware of this, aware of what they were saying, aware of their attitude, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. See, it's not about us, it's about him. Another translation says, she has done something wonderfully significant. Verse 13, Jesus says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And here we are, 2023, we're still talking about and being inspired by this woman's wild generosity. We know about her because she was willing to give sacrificially. You know, after my son was born, uh, my wife Claire and I, we were believing for a second child and, and you know, we tried, as you do, and uh, it just wasn't happening for us. And we went to the doctor and the doctor told us, look, you know, you've got severe endometriosis, stage four. The, the doctor actually called another doctor to come and take a look because he said it was the worst he had ever seen. And, and the doctors told us there's basically less than zero chance of having another child. In fact, he said, you're lucky to have one child. Your first child is a miracle. You know, maybe it's a bit too much to expect for a second miracle. Well, we continued to trust God and, and, and sort of said, well, Lord, you know, it's in your hands and we're going to trust you. And we, we kept coming forward for prayer. And every time, you know, there was, there was a, a, a call for those who wanted to have kids, we would raise our hands. And, and sometimes my wife would have to elbow me to get me to lift my hand. But, but there I was. Well, we were at a conference uh, some years back, and they were appealing for people to sponsor children through an organization called Compassion, where you contribute towards these kids, and, and, and it's really like orphans and families that cannot afford to feed and clothe and educate their kids, and so your contribution really does give them a hope for the future, 
And I remember they were passing around buckets and you put your hand in and you pull out a card and the, a picture of the actual child that you were gonna sponsor was on there. And if you wanted to sponsor the child, you, you would hang on to that card and you would fill in the details. And if you didn't want to, you just hand it in the exit. And I remember having this conversation with God saying, you know, Lord, if I put my hand in and I pull it out and it's a little girl, we're gonna sponsor her because we're believing for a baby girl. Well, I put my hand in as the bucket comes along, I pull it out and it's a baby girl. And so now I'm telling my wife about the conversation agreement that I just made with God. She's on board, she says, absolutely. And I said to her, you know, we can't have our own baby girl right now, but that shouldn't stop us. We don't have to pay for formula, nappies and all that stuff. We're in a position where we can do this. And so we began to sow into this little girl's life. Well, three years later, after all the waiting and the confusion and, 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 and ignoring the, the voices of fear and doubt, our baby girl, miracle baby girl, Chloe Rose, was born. And I want to encourage you today, as we not only believe for breakthrough in our church, but also in our personal lives in this breakthrough offering season, that when you give sacrificially and generously to God, it's never a waste. It never goes unnoticed. And listen, we didn't sponsor that little girl so that we could get a little girl. We just knew that we needed to do something. And sometimes, you know, it, it, the kingdom works differently in, than to the natural. When you plant an apple seed, you grow an apple tree. It just is the way it works. But in the kingdom, sometimes you sow finance and you reap in a relationship. Sometimes you, you give of your time and you end up reaping a, 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 a financial reward. It's a supernatural thing. But how many of you know when you sow into good things, you will reap good things back? God sees it and he honors it. Why? Because number five, God is a generous God. The most well-known verse in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, says, For this is how God loved the world. He yelled from the sky, I love you. No? He put a message in a bottle and he put it in the ocean for us to find. No, he gave his one and only son so that everyone, regardless of who you are or what you've done, what your story is, you might have been used, abused, and discarded. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, God is the author of generosity. As we come to a close, I hope you've been helped and challenged and inspired today. I want to tell you about a university athlete called Cameron Lyle. Cameron got swabbed to join a bone marrow registry uh, and become a, a donor back when he was a sophomore in college. He was in his second year. And he said that he never thought about it much again until he got a call one month before the biggest track and field championship of his college career. The event was the biggest and most celebrated college track and field competition in the country, and Cameron, who had already won 11 medals, was a top contender in his category of the shot put. Well, he says that he, he got the call, and they said, listen, somebody needs you, you're a match, their life hangs in the balance, and one article that I read said this, responding to the need, the shot put star gave up his medal chances and underwent transplant surgery at the age of 21 to help an unknown 28-year-old suffering from leukemia. 
despite having a promising career as a professional athlete ahead of him, he sacrificed all of that to save the life of a stranger. Do you know that's what you and I do? When we come into a church like this, we, we don't know everybody. We're actually sacrificing for the lives of strangers so that someone that you probably never meet in your lifetime can come to know the Lord, can be spiritually fed and pointed to the purposes of God. For the generations to come that will be here long after we're all dead and gone and gone to be with the Lord. We don't just do it because we know people. We do it because the world needs Jesus. When interviewed by ABC News, Cameron said it's just a sport Life is a lot more important than that. You know, church, God looked at us and he saw us as valuable and important. And his response wasn't a call down from the sky, I love you, good luck with life, I'm up here in the ether, if you, you know, just know that I'm here, but I'm not gonna do anything. No, his response was generosity. He gave his one and only son sacrificially and generously so that you and I can live. And how we respond to that generosity will determine the kind of life we live. It'll determine the impact that we have on the earth in our lifetime. And it'll also determine where we spend eternity. You see, Jesus is our breakthrough offering. He was offered up so that you and I can break through the darkness of sin and step into the light of life. And if you're here today and you haven't received him or if you're honest, you're far from God, I don't want to finish this part of the service without giving you an opportunity to respond to him. You know, we're in breakthrough offering season, but it's not just about giving of our finances. It's about giving our whole lives to Jesus in response to what he's already done for you and I. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.